Do you like comics? We're here to talk comics. This is the Superhuman Registration Podcast. Still love Andor, and I found out the scariest thing that can happen. Well, that's not true. Somebody got stabbed at Comic Con one time, but over the weekend, <laughs> I was I was like, "This is the scariest thing that's happened at this con." Because I was just you know going around with my cousin trying to find like a hat, and they and turns out nobody was selling hats at Comic Con unless it was a fedora, and no, thank you. Um, as we're as we're walking the Andy Circus panel ended and I think some of his biggest fans were headed towards the booth where he would be signing autographs oh, because yeah. this group of people dressed up like convicts and andor started chanting <laughs> one way out one way out like in the show and when you don't know what they're saying but there's a big crowd of people and someone starts chanting you get a little on edge like oh no this is is this a rally all of a sudden what's going on and then it turns out oh thank goodness it's just andy circus fans it was terrifying because it was like people are coming this way marching and chanting in unison i don't know the last seven years or so none that's never been good so oh but it was just anti-circus fans, so all right. Yeah, adjusting to the what con environment after the last couple of years is a little weird. Yeah, yeah. Because, yeah, weird being around big, big groups of people. Weird being around, you know, like, out in costume and everything and, like, you know, double check. Oh, I know that show. Oh, okay, what's going on here? And then all of a sudden, like, who's ch- what's going on? Oh, no. <laughs> Hide behind everyone dressed like a Mandalorian. They have armor. <laughs> We're not even at the Capitol. What the heck? <laughs> oh, no. Oh, no. Are those tiki torches? Ah. <laughs> you know somebody is going to do that at a Comic-Con. The only ball caps I see are red. <gasps> yeah, I, I mean, that's, that's more offensive than, than the Jedi Jesus I saw, which bothered me, but, like, if, you know... You're not religious. It's probably like tee hee hee. Eh, even if you are religious, it's a little tee hee hee. Yes, I do think the Lord has a sense of humor, but you know. Anyway, there's a poem I quite like called "Good Time Jesus." That's all about Jesus, like waking up in the morning and having a cup of coffee and thinking life is just really swell. And I'm like, you know, little Mormon boy who doesn't drink coffee, listening to that poem for the first time in college, like, oh, this is offensive. And now I think it's great. <laughs> <laughs> You feel like, push up your glasses. Um, excuse me, Jesus does not drink coffee. Jesus <laughs> would not partake. religious affiliation has not changed. <laughs> I've just chilled out a little bit. <laughs> yeah, they should have sent someone like a, a nerd crier ahead. Hey, we're going to be coming through chanting, don't worry. <laughs> That's what should have. It's not peril. Yeah. We're not <laughs> racist. Yeah. Uh, Speaking of, well, okay, this is not a good segue. There's a little bit of racism we have to deal with today from and today's sexism. reading. Just a little bit. Definitely. Se- well, it is the 90s. So, welcome to the Superhuman Registration Podcast, where we are the masters of our craft, as opposed to the masters of evil, who we read oh. about today. Hey. I'm Steven. I'm joined by John and Aldo. Fellas, how you doing this evening? Dang it. 
I had like a code. I was going to use like code names or like quote Zemo and be like, do not refer to me by that previous name. But I, I lost it. I lost it. It's gone. I was going to let John go first for impact, but that was not a lot. Of yeah. How's that decision treating you? Yeah. Was that the right move to make? You know, I, I can't so. really say I've, d- I've made worse. Well, Stephen, to answer your question, I'm doing well. (laughs) (laughs) I am glad to hear that you are doing well. Okay, we've got a one-two punch of The Masters of Evil to read today. I think we should just kind of get into it now that we've been chatting for uh, 40 minutes. How does this always happen? (laughs) It's wonderful (laughs) conversations. Also, I just let it happen and I don't stop it. Fair enough. Um, Okay, so... I'm going to assume that we want to start with Avengers Under Siege. Yeah, because that works. Yeah, yeah. That is a fair assumption. The reading guide for Avengers Under Siege says that it takes up uh, uh, the Avengers issues number 270 through 277. Now, these books were written by Roger Stern with art by John Buscema, I think is how that's pronounced, inks by Tom Palmer, colors by Christy Scheel, and letters by Jim Novak. Uh, Really... I don't think the story begins in earnest until about issue 273. There's a lot of setup. The first couple of issues involve primarily Namor, who is a new addition to the team roster of the Avengers. And maybe I should actually review the roster real quick. Uh, Currently, the team is led by the Wasp. We've also got Captain America, Hercules, Monica Rambeau's Captain Marvel, and the Black Knight. So it's kind of an odd mix. Uh, some characters who are really solid, some characters who are a little bit lesser known. None of them, I would say, come out looking too bad, though. And anyway, Namor is currently a member of the Avengers, and that stirred up some controversy because Namor is often a supervillain and, in fact, did lead the armies of Atlantis in a major attack against New York within the past couple of years. And so people are not super high on him. There's a whole lot of Atlantean drama. Don't really need to deal with it. By the end of it, Namor is on an indefinite leave of absence. So he's really only a member of the Avengers for like five issues. And behind the scenes or in the background through all of this, we see a bunch of different supervillains gathering together and and making plans. Uh, The villainous Moonstone is lurking around outside... Uh, Avengers Mansion during some of the Namor protests. Uh, There's uh, rumors of other villains getting broken out of jail and it's all kind of building to this massive confrontation. The Masters of Evil are led by, in this case, Baron Zemo. So Zemo gathers a massive list of villains. Uh, The entire Wrecking Crew, Moonstone, Goliath, Fixer, Absorbing Man and Titania, Tiger Shark, Whirlwind, Yellow Jacket, I feel like I'm missing, Blackout is the other one that I was trying to think of, and brings these folks together and says, listen, the superheroes keep beating us because they are a team and they work together. Now, we are more powerful than they are, so if we work together, we should have a lot of success. And they do. They invade the Avengers Mansion after having studied them for a while, so they kind of knew nobody was around. They break in, they kidnap Jarvis, the Avengers butler, and they kind of lure the Avengers into traps one at a time. Hercules gets beaten so bad he gets put in the hospital. Captain America and Black Knight both get captured and their their stuff kind of gets taken from them. Uh, Then they beat up Jarvis in front of Captain America and Black Knight. 
and tear up all of Captain America's stuff, and the team's just completely devastated. The Wasp, who manages to escape their... Inter- oh, and they, Captain Marvel, sorry. They trap Captain Marvel in the Dark Force dimension uh, using the powers of Blackout. It's, it's all very metaphysical, and I'm sure there's a lot more significance to the, the Dark Force than we deal with here, but we're not really going to get into that. Captain Marvel is basically trapped in another dimension. Mm-hmm. The Wasp puts out an emergency call to any Avengers that happen to still be around and winds up recruiting a bunch of older members. Uh, Scott Lang, Ant-Man, shows up to help out, as does Thor. I want to say that this is a Thor post-Simonson run, or maybe concurrent with the Simonson run, and his powers are a little bit reduced, because I know that's a thing that happens in, in Simonson's run, because he doesn't seem to have quite the, the swagger that he used to. That feels, yeah. The Avengers reunite, they, they storm the mansion, they free Captain America and Black Knight, who Black Knight is, throughout all of this, trying to figure out what the deal is with his, his sword. It has some magical energies to it that he doesn't quite understand and he's able to like summon it to him and they get in a big fight and they're able to defeat the masters of evil and kind of drive him off i think they killed zemo like he falls off the edge of a roof and and smashes his head and and is apparently dead but you know comics that's not gonna last and the series ends with captain america kind of sitting in the rubble of the avengers mansion going through all of his memorabilia that's uh, been destroyed and he's just in tears because they took this from him. This, like The only photo that he had of his mother got torn in half. And even though the Avengers kind of won and they drove the villains off, you know, Steve Rogers is sitting there and dealing with kind of the emotional turmoil of, of what they did to him. Oh, and I was flipping through this last issue and I reminded myself that Dr. Druid is also here. And he has got to be one of my least favorite Avengers. He's such a terrible character. But this book isn't really about him. Yeah, this was my first exposure to... Dr. Druid, and I am indifferent to him. He is. I swear, I've read a couple of stories with him in it. I am whelmed or underwhelmed? Probably underwhelmed. I don't know if I'm... I'm not in Europe, so I can't just be whelmed, so... <laughs> I've read a couple of stories with Dr. Druid, and all he ever does is show up in a bathrobe, <laughs> say some spooky mumbo-jumbo, and then somebody hits him and he falls over. Hey, that's what happened here! <laughs> what a twist. He strikes me as being quite useless. But other than that, other than that, what did we think? I enjoyed the artwork in this. Very classic Marvel. There's some uh, great poses in there. It, it was, it, I think we, you know, look for stories and the way that they do comics now. They try to build in story arcs to the trade. And this was more serial. Like this was just, well, here's, here's 10 issues or, how, you know, however many and what's going on with the event like it threw me off um having you know namor come and go and he was barely even like a member of the avengers officially before he was like nah i gotta i gotta go back to the ocean um so that was annoying um as far as like something that like why would that why would that have happened if if he's going to be part of the avengers now why put him in and then take him right out you know like i I see there was like a story reason for it but it, it felt weird to like introduce him and have it be this big point of conflict only to take it away immediately so that was weird granted we don't know but i'm also wondering how long he was on the team prior to the comics that the issues that we read i yeah, i don't know that's a good point yeah, i mean it felt clear. like it was it felt like it was brand spanking right new, yeah sure 
Yeah, and I yeah. I also wonder if that had to do anything with maybe Namor's popularity, like at all, also. Mm. Like a Jason Todd situation, but not as drastic. It's super weird to me to think of Namor as having popularity. Yeah, any, right? <laughs> That's also, okay. Fictional or in the real world, yeah. So I know that there's like the... It's not like a legend. I mean, it's kind of fact, but like... I know the reason that the MCU started with the Avengers and the Avengers team that we have is because those were the B kind of tier characters. They weren't the big blockbuster selling characters, right? All those characters were like sold to the other studios. Mm -hmm. And there's something funny about actually seeing that in action because kind of like both of the books that we read, well, not really both of them. This one in particular, a lot of it felt like B and C list characters, including a lot of the Avengers. And it's so weird to read a book where, like, that feels kind of evident. Like, I don't know that any of these characters were popular back then, or even most of them today. And that's such, like, a weird part of, hist- of like, comics history is that, oh yeah, the Avengers team was, was popular because it was a team, not because of anybody in there in particular, apart from maybe Captain America. Mm-hmm. Yeah, this... Anytime the Wrecking Crew is involved, I'm like, oh, okay. We're, we're like, you know, it's, it's like... You know, we're digging deep. Yeah, it's just like, okay, we're, we're between, like, you know, Galactus or, or Kang kind of problems and the Wrecking Crew is sniffing around, so... Yeah, like, I don't really care about the Black Knight, Dane... You know, the Wasp, I, I appreciate that, like, she's the official leader of the Avengers or whatever. But, you know, Hercules keeps getting his feathers ruffled at that. It's like, I'm glad you're in a coma right now, Hercules. You and your misogyny. <laughs> yeah, when he got sent to the hospital, part of me was like, good. <laughs> Stay there for yeah. a while. Yeah. I really like Hercules. This was really hard to read. <laughs> yeah, this this era of Hercules was, oof. Not good. And, like, I, I want to like Hercules in principle. It's like, yeah, that's that's a fun, you know, Greek myth, whatever, and they're going to make him a comp. Like, yeah, great, okay. But, boy, he never comes off great in any of the stuff that we've read with him. So Yeah. Like, one of, one of his books is, like, near the bottom of our list, right? Like, just for that same reason. It's just, dude. It's hard, it's hard to be a Hercules fan, you know? Sometimes he's extremely sexist and drunk. Sometimes he's just all up to, like... Get down while hanging out with his, like, probably preteen friend. Hey. And sometimes he's just portrayed by Kevin Sorbo. <laughs> <laughs> See, I was going to go with the Disney Hercules. You had to bring up the one that makes me sad. Yeah, it's sad. <laughs> it's like, although they're the exact same, they're the exact same picture. <laughs> you, uh, did you, now, did you see the air in your ways and cross over to Xena? I grew up with Xena. My sister, my sister watched Xena, and like that's usually what was on TV. I only caught like a couple episodes of Hercules ever. To be frank, I only ever caught a couple of episodes of either of them. Uh, listen, I remember Xena being good, but I was also like twelve or thirteen, so like, heck yeah. <laughs> <laughs> there it is. That that makes sense. a lot of things make sense now. Actually, now that I think about that. As a as a we'll get back on ten, on on topic in a minute, but Lucy Lawless shows up in in or used to show up in a lot of like TV shows in the the two thousands, and every time she'd show up, I'd be like, oh hey, I like her. Well done, well done, well done for getting Lucy Lawless. Burn notice. <laughs> she was on burn notice. 
She was in a couple of, I think maybe only one episode of Burn Notice. Well, I mean, she was on Parks and Rec. Yeah. Burn Notice, though, I think Burn Notice got everybody. They even got the oldest the oldest son from Home Improvement as a drug dealer. That's a good get. Oh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Seriously, like, everybody in TV, I think, has had a bit part on Burn Notice. And yeah. uh, the, never the people that are like, like, you know, they had, uh, oh, crap. I just blanked on his name from the West Wing. There's a dude from the West Wing who was on like, like an episode and a half, and you're like, "Yes, this is gonna be great." He plays the guy who plays Toby Ziegler. Crap, why can't I remember his name? Oh, he was in that. Yeah, he was like at the end of a season, oh, like you know, one. he was like the big, the big like agent that had a bunch of info. It's always the same kind of like. As soon as he finds out, like. You know, oh, but you actually were were crossed by this person. Oh, but it was really this. But it was really this. He was one of those, you know. And uh, he, like, gets introduced. Richard Schiff. He gets introduced and then gets killed, like, immediately. Like, as soon as he's told Weston, like, there's a bigger thing going on here, boom, dead. And it's just like, oh, dang it, because you want to have more of those kind of guest actors and less, you know, kid from Home Improvement. But anyway. (laughs) Anyway, back to, to Under Siege. (laughs) <laughs> weirdly i think i could talk about burn notice for the rest of the night but let's talk about under siege should instead. we change this to a burn notice podcast <laughs> oh gosh burn cast <laughs> once we finished all the marvel comics we can do a burn notice podcast mojito mojito men <laughs> we could have it be the mojito men yes oh my gosh, oh, gosh. <laughs> that's very funny with two teetotalers yeah, seriously. We should no wait. You know what we should do? We should call the podcast Miami, but said in a bad Irish accent, spelled that way. Miami, B B M O I A M I. Oh gosh. Okay. Seriously, seriously. Let's get back on topic. Yeah. Two hundred siege. <laughs> Cannot believe how much we. Anyway, John. I know you said you didn't really care for the Black Knight. I actually think he comes off looking pretty good in this series. Like, oh yeah, kind of no, interesting. like interesting in this. I just don't. I, it's like, yeah, the, he don't was... don't know anything about the character. I don't know anything about the character. I don't care. But it's like he's got a sword. Okay. Okay. <laughs> like, you know, it, it just kind of like is... There's there's a handful of, of heroes, and I think he's one of them, where it's like, oh, okay, like Black Knight's in this? Like, Pat Oswalt has a whole bit about, like, how the Avengers have a dude with bow and arrows, and how that's ridiculous, and how, like, the X-Men are, like, better, you know? Yeah, I just... He, he's kind of cool in this because he's like learning more about his powers and like you know you're like okay that sword might actually come in handy later you know when when nothing else has worked against these guys whatever but i don't know i didn't realize or maybe had forgotten that the character in the avengers incarnation was actually like a scientist mm-hmm. and the way that he was like trying to use his his you know, scientific prowess to help Monica Rambeau better understand her powers. That was pretty interesting. Also, Monica Rambeau, this era of Monica Rambeau, I actually quite like the shiny spangly suit Captain Amer- or Captain Marvel, where she's got light powers. Sure. I, I like most of this team of Avengers, is what I'm saying. Wasp, unfortunately, I think suffers from 90s female character writing mm-hmm. because she uh, doesn't, I don't know. She does not come off looking too hot. And some of that is the fact that her teammates don't like her because she is a woman. It makes the whole thing really uncomfortable. And so it's it's like, I don't know. I feel like if, if Captain America had been the leader of the Avengers when the Masters of Evil invaded and beat the crap out of Jarvis in front of him and all of that, he wouldn't turn around and make that, you know, oh, I'm not suited 
to be the leader of this team. But because it's it's the Wasp who's the leader at this time, and because there's all of this very, very sexist criticism of her coming from her teammates, it feels like the writers were setting her up to fail. Yeah. And that sucks. Or, like, eventually she comes into her own, but, like, I, you know, you feel like... I feel like it's only going to be after, like, Cap mentors her in, like, a... Here, little lady, here's how you run the team more than you want it to be, like a... Like a I, don't, I don't know. I'm I'm guessing what happens next in this year. I, I should read it before I say. Maybe we're only seeing part of this arc before, you know, the character gets done justice, I guess. Yeah, well, I mean, Wasp is an original Avenger... She coined coined the term. Correct. I know there are versions of the character that are interesting. And like spe- not not just versions of the Wasp, but specifically Janet Van Dyne. I, I know that there are versions of the character in the comics that are interesting. Struggled a bit with this particular portrayal. And of course, Dr. Druid is the worst. But otherwise, I think the event... And Hercules is the worst. Okay, so <laughs> we're eliminating a lot of the members of the team. But I don't think they're really supposed to be the attraction. I think the villains are supposed to be the big attraction here. What did we think of the Masters of Evil, of this particular incarnation? Not the first incarnation of the Masters of Evil, I should mm-hmm. say. I think this is the first Masters of Evil book I've read. So uh, I was a little surprised by, again, kind of how many kind of B-list characters we got. Uh, you know, we got the Wrecking Crew, which is the one I'm most familiar with. So, like, when, when Creed shows up, I'm like, hey... This guy. But other than that, like, the team itself for me, like, wasn't very impressive. The plan, though, I think for me the plan was the main attraction. Because to me this felt a little closer to, like, Tower of Babel. But not as... Yeah. Not quite nailing it. Because it's so focused on, like, one character and mostly distracting other people. But, like, the plan itself, like, to just break Captain America and then kill, you know, all of his like new family i think was was very interesting was very obviously very zemo yeah i don't i don't know uh the characters themselves that for me was whatever the plan itself though was to me of more interest Mm -hmm. it worked they 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 accomplished their goal they got into the mansion you know but like it seemed like they were like haha we're gonna embarrass them we're gonna embarrass them then finally zemo says and then we're gonna kill them all in front of you cap like because for a while it felt like they were just gonna do that to be like look what we did to the avengers ha 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 i was like yeah but you're gonna kill them right and then they they finally delivered i was like okay good i mean not you know what i mean not good but like (laughs) have a have a good plan you know uh a truly evil plan i i think is jarvis silly is that is that is is he just silly is he a poor man's alfred is that what's going on he is right yeah unfortunately i think he is I yeah. don't think that that makes what happened to him in this story any less affecting. No. Because, like, I don't want to say it's a high point because the high point is, you know, this this elderly gentleman getting the crap beaten out of him by a supervillain. But as far as, like, the intensity of this story, that moment when Mr. Hyde tortures Jarvis, it's actually really difficult to read. It's one of the, yeah. I think, harshest things I have ever ever read in a comic that was like what's that line shoot this might actually be a quote from burn notice which makes me mad uh <laughs> violence perceived is violence achieved <laughs> is that the one where he 
it's like they just let the other guy hear hear yells from the room and he he thinks he knows what's going anyway yeah i did yeah, not realize like that. that uh that you had seen that show i thought oh well there was a time when i considered burn notice to be one of my favorite television shows oh it's super entertaining but like it was a very dark time i was doing improv comedy a lot and <laughs> Man. Anyway, uh, the way you said that. <laughs> I was thinking about this when when reading the book. The villains, like you say, they don't really come off like they're not all that interesting. Zemo himself, I think, makes a good impression. Moonstone comes out looking like a really compelling character, mostly because she's uh, spends the entire book trying to find ways to betray Zemo and just like can't quite make it work. So that power struggle is really interesting. I have a soft spot for Mr. Hyde from some of the other stories that I've read him in. But even in those, I don't think he's a super compelling character. I just know that there are good things that you can do with him. Um, but yeah, it, it just the thing I keep coming up with whenever I read stories like this is it's like, are Marvel villains just mostly terrible? Or is every company full of a whole bunch of mediocre villains that nobody knows what to do with? Because uh, I was like... Boy, if the Justice League was fighting a team of supervillains, you know, it would have Lex Luthor, it would have the Joker, it would have uh, Sinestro, it would have all of these, like, massive characters. But then I remembered, like, DC has five different flame villains, and I think one of them might be okay. And look at any of the Flash's villains, you know? Hey, the Flash's villains are surprisingly interesting, though. Yeah, but also, you have to remember that Justice League isn't made of, like, their B team, it's made of their A team. So, like, that's yeah. where you're going to get most of the interesting, like, villains, I think. But, yeah, I don't know. I think DC tends to have better villains, typically. Like, a lot of the interest in the heroes from Marvel doesn't really come from their villains, right? It comes from, like, their struggles as, like, people. Oh, let's remember that point when we talk about Thunderbolts. <laughs> yeah. Because I got something to say about that there. Yeah. <laughs> we do have Doom, though, on the Marvel side, so. Mm-hmm. Arguably one of the greatest comic book villains. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and we get... Oh, no, it's not in this book. It's the other book. We get teased with some doom, and then it doesn't happen. Yeah, I was bummed, too. Yeah, but I... Yeah, I don't, I don't know. I think there's something... I mean, you have a lot of villain of the week, right? Which, like, even in Across the Spider-Verse, that's a joke. That a, that a villain is labeled as a villain of the week. And so I think maybe that's something that's a little bit more common with Marvel, is we, they literally have... A villain for like every day of the week. <laughs> DC has that too. It's Calendar Man. Oh, ah, oh. <laughs> but yeah, apart from Zemo and maybe like Moonstone, I don't know that any, and maybe the Wrecking Crew. I don't know. Maybe it's just because I'm familiar with the Wrecking Crew. I don't know that I would put them. I would like them as much if I wasn't as familiar with them. But at least for me, like yeah, with the exception of of really Zemo and Moonstone. Yeah, the rest of the villains here weren't really just kind of like, oh, they're just kind of lackeys with names. Right, yeah. And terrible costumes. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Like, all of these characters have just really bad costumes. Talking about the costumes, sorry, really really quick aside. I did not like how similar Wasp and Yellowjacket's costumes were. Because at least a couple, at least two times, I confused the character. And I was like, why is, why is the Wasp in this, in this van with, yeah. with this man? Similar powers and stuff. Like, you can get, like, where, you know, a villain is taking, you know, persona from a, a, a hero. 
and so the you know costume is similar. But if you if you know that's going to happen, then change it up. It's a visual medium, you know. Like don't yeah. don't do that. So, but you know, like there's a reason for it because Yellow Jacket is one of Hank Pym's persona. Yeah. yeah. And the Wasp designed it, right? Yeah. Yeah. But the Wasp also changes her outfit like every other month. So like. Yeah, they should have put the Wasp in a new costume. I actually, I actually think I agree with that. Yeah. They also should have changed the Blackout's costume because, holy crap, that lightning bolt going the wrong direction on his face. <laughs> yeah. It's such a terrible look. He looks he looks like Kroger brand Electro. He does. <laughs> he does, with, except sometimes the Kroger brand is actually better than name brand. Like in Private Selection's Private Ice Cream. Selection. Is, is, Private Selection's Ice Cream is really good. So good. Hmm. I'll have to try it out next time. Black raspberry chocolate chunk. You should. It's also the cheapest ice cream in the in the aisle. Ooh, sold me on that one. You know, maybe not the cheapest, but pretty close. Also, I thought it was uh, not costume related, but I thought it was hilarious that the romance rivalry in this book is between a, a character named the Black Knight and the man named a paladin, which is... <laughs> that's a little funny to me. I feel like that's the plot of like Final Fantasy IV. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, ex- exactly. <laughs> I I like Zemo's costume, but I always feel like him he him as a character. It's like, well, why aren't you Red Skull? We well, get out of here with your purple hood. <laughs> like, you know what? You, you know, know what, John? I think I think he wakes up and asks himself that too. He's like, why aren't you the Red Skull? And like Baron Strucker, it's like all of you just hop in a blender and then sort this out. You know, you you have a purple hood until you take it off, and oh, I was the Red Skulls the whole time. It's like, well, I thought you were the same guy anyway. So, ooh, ooh got me. <laughs> you know, I like Zemo. He's fine in this because there's no Red Skull around. So it's like, well, all right. Well, I he's kind of I don't want to say. I mean, you're not wrong. Experts in the in the subtleties, like maybe they'd be able to say the difference. Well, you know, uh, Red Skull was about this kind of fascism, and and Zemo was about this kind of fascism. Okay, the, I'm sure that exists, but like, as as a casual, you know, it's just like, all right, he he has a red skull and he has a purple hood, but they basically are, you know, doing the same kind of thing. I don't know if Red Skull always has a team. He does. It's called the Nazis. Right. <laughs> he actually does have a team of like skull themed henchmen. The Hydra. I guess Hydra. <laughs> well, but... no, I think that's a I think that's an invention of the movies. I think Red Skull in the comics has like, you know, crossbones and other skull themed villains, but crossbones is the only one anyone remembers. I'm I'm just I'm just sad that he does have a team. They're called the Nazis. Can't be the episode title. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, as a rule, we do not name our no. podcast after Nazis. No. No. Yeah, I hate to say it, John. I think you might be right. We were really close to being called the Hydrocast, so I don't know. Oh, God. <laughs> Is it too late to change? I just, yeah. I mean, maybe that just means, like, I need to know more about the characters, but I just... Uh, yeah, I think the character is interesting, but a lot of it is for what he does, not who he is. Yeah. Because who he is as a character is, um, yeah, Kroger brand Red Skull. <laughs> and now, having said that, I think he was a good villain in both of the stories that were read tonight. But, yeah. but honestly, it is like, you know, he he is not superhuman. He is, you know, a tactician and everything. 
and can hold his own, but like by himself can't really do much. So, well, so, since we kind of mentioned the other story, is it time to to switch over? I believe so. We go forward now to about ten years later to nineteen ninety seven. I was reading comics as a kid when the onslaught event happened, and that was Charles Xavier takes the the evil inside Magneto, and then it it grows into its own entity. And it's like the the powers and the dark sides of of Xavier and and Magneto turn into a being known as Onslaught, who uh, fights all of the heroes and seems to kill them, but then they come back because they were, oh, they were actually in a pocket dimension created by Franklin Richards or some nonsense. Well, before that happened, at this moment in time in comics, the Fantastic Four and the Avengers are gone. There's, there's, you know, a few members. We see Natasha Romanoff in this book, um, but they are gone. And so there are problems in New York. There are um, large parts of the city that have been torn up by this onslaught fight. And we get a new team of heroes that show up on the scene. Citizen V, who's the leader, he's got a V-shaped mask and, and a, you know, American flag shoulder pads, meteorite, techno, Songbird, Mach 1, and Atlas. And they have varied skill sets and they show up and kick butt and take names and, you know, fight the fight the wrecking crew who show up in here and, and prove themselves as heroes and become popular with New Yorkers really quickly um, by saving the Statue of Liberty from the wrecking crew. It turns out <gasps> they're actually the masters of evil trying to get in good with, you know, the good guys and then... And then get access to all the secrets and, and, you know, get past their defenses and take over. Um, so Citizen V is actually Baron Zemo. Meteorite is Moonstone. Techno is the Fixer. Songbird is Screaming Mimi. Mach 1 is the Beetle. Atlas is Goliath. And then a character that we've seen kind of in the background from these issues, who's Jolt, Hallie Takahama, She's she's 15, which is uncomfortable because it's like, oh, we're just going to drop her in the middle of a mix of these adult heroes, but they don't really, like, they do treat her like a kid. But anyway, they uh, are the new, kind of the new Avengers team, and then they get put in the uh, Fantastic Four Tower. They're trying to keep popular, and it's kind of up in the air, whether there's some of them feel like, oh, this is pretty good being the heroes, and some of them still are, you know, committed to achieving their villainous plans and uh they fight you know like i said wrecking crew they fight the rat pack they fight the expanding man the growing man the growing growing man man. excuse me they fight the growing man who i don't mind his costume the purple's kind of cool but there are different things going on you know the the city's trying to get some um PR connection with them and have a liaison to like you know get in good with them and Baron von St- Wolfgang von Strucker who's not Zemo or Red Skull he's another German bad guy is you know seeing them as a threat it ends we you know end with you know Zemo maybe maybe recognizes them they're able to fight off what we think is possibly doomed but it turns out it's just Arnim Zola who has mutated all of these you know lost kids in the street who have been affected by you know onslaught the onslaught attack and Hallie Jolt after she joins the Thunderbolts realizes that that's what's been happening and she survived all the experimentation and got superpowers but her fellow 
New Yorkers weren't so lucky, and um, she convinces these monsters not to attack, and they end up just kind of destroying themselves rather than, you know, turning into, you know, real monsters, and uh, they they uh, fight Zola. This worked for me at the same time as, like, you know, like some some things about it felt almost more dated than the, the book from the late 80s, this late 90s book. Maybe it was the kind of cartoony style of the art where sometimes it works just fine but sometimes like I wasn't crazy about any of the designs of these of these characters um, any of these thunderbolts but the the plot was intriguing because it was you know bad guys pulling off a big master plan and it seemed to be working really well and there were enough little seeds of like what's really going to happen who's going to stay a bad guy who's going to you know choose the good guy life after this what did you guys think did you mention the creative team Kurt Busick and Mark Bagley. Yeah, Mark Bagley. I I love I love me some Mark Bagley. So like uh, I know the art was a little cartoony, but for me it worked. And again, Mark Bagley. If I had read this at the time, I would have been like, "This is as good as comic art will ever get. This is amazing." Because <laughs> it was that's what it called for at the time. Like I, you know, there was a lot of the onslaught stuff that looked like this, and I loved it, loved it, loved it. You know. Mm-hmm. So it's a little bit like. Me growing up and like learning that okay, there's there's more than one way to skin a cat, and this might not be the best way. Like I'm looking at like Atlas in one of these pages, where you know they're in street clothes, you know, and he just I'm going to just share it with you guys because he just looks silly. But he's like off to meet you know his city liaison to lunch, and you know he uh, for lunch, and he's kind of you know getting involved in that relationship. Oh yeah, where he's wearing like his super tight. Kind his of, big dog shirt and yeah, flex. and his pants to say flex, and he has his Rob Liefeld feet. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> he somehow has like broad shoulders, but then like his not his forearms, but his just his biceps like are too long, and it's not even like gorilla arms. It's just like you've you've stacked these arm pieces too far apart, and it's just it's weird. <laughs> yeah, it does look a little funky. I thought, you know, Moonstone was, again, intriguing in this one because she's kind of trying to, you know, maybe maybe take over from um, Zemo, maybe mentor this, this uh, you know, new kid, Jolt, you know, uh, maybe do her own thing. You know, she's kind of, you know, still playing behind the scenes there. Yeah, but, like, the rest, like, I think Mach 1, like, that's, like, a, a dumb name and suit and everything. It's, like, you're, it looks like you're trying to sell me a toy. What is this? Mm-hmm. <laughs> Techno felt like a little hand wavy, and it's kind of, you know, it's kind of like Forge, but not Forge. But then turns out he, you know, he's the fixer, and he's like still playing in the underworld, and so that becomes interesting. Goliath being another Ant Man Wasp character, it's like, oh, okay, fine, whatever. I don't know what it is, but to me, '90s art feels like it has aged worse than '80s art. I actually wonder if it isn't uh, because of layouts. Maybe because there's a massive attempt to try to make the artwork just like they break panel borders and have figures popping out larger than the backgrounds and it's a pretty constant thing it feels very try hard the mm-hmm. easiest thing for me to compare it to is like the sonic the hedgehog comics from oh man well, heck those series have been going on forever but like there's a similar sort of aesthetic where they're popping out all of the images and just trying to make the characters look as big and as cool as possible and i don't care if you were a sega kid growing up there is a limit to how cool sonic the hedgehog can actually be 
It's a pretty quick limit, too. Yeah. <laughs> well, he is a you know very fast hedgehog. Oh yeah, is he the fastest one alive? He's got blast processing. <laughs> and so, like, I don't want to be too hard on this art because you know it's a good artist, right? Yeah, and like a hundred percent, like what the times called for, and you know, there's still it's still like cool stuff in here, and it's you know someone who knows what they're doing, but like what the it, it, it's like. What the style and the times we're going for, like now, just is kind of yeah. It hasn't aged well. No, the aesthetics of '80s comics, the images were more restrained. They were restricted to the the limits of the frame a little bit more. And honestly, I think that look holds up fairly well. So I don't know. It was kind of hard for me to look at this, but I mean, I enjoyed reading it as much as I enjoy reading. A lot of comics from the 90s. I mean, that's the era I grew up reading, right? I Mm -hmm. kind of dropped out of comics by the time Onslaught happened. So I really missed that whole era. So there's not as much nostalgia for me at this point. But still, like, pretty enjoyable. It was kind of neat to see Zemo's very slow burn of a plan pay off sort of incrementally. We start off as small-scale heroes. People think we're kind of cool, but... They don't know what to do with us. And then we have a few high-profile cases. And they're like, here, have all of the Fantastic Force technology. Oh, no, an evil robot is attacking. Here, let's let's get the Avengers files. And, you know, the plans didn't always work. Now these characters are our protagonists, so they need to uh, struggle a bit more. Still pretty interesting. Yeah. I particularly like, kind of not talking about the art, going a little bit back to the story. Part of the thing that I liked a lot was the idea of them being heroes and receiving respect and liking it. Like there's that part where Moonstone is kind of monologuing for a little bit or, you know, we're getting her thoughts on the situation. He's talking about how you have these people who have always been like talked down on, have they, they've never received any respect. They're constantly getting beat up and thrown in jail and you know all this stuff right and now as they when they make like their first like press conference you know everybody's asking them for for their name they're talking to them like people and stuff like this and and she's like yeah this is a little dangerous they could start to like this and want to stay in it and they might lose the mission along the way and i thought that was an interesting bit of foreshadowing that i'm guessing we're going to see a little bit more of which, I mean, we get to see a little bit of already in this arc when they rescue Haley, and without really, you know, questioning why or anything like that, they, they help her. And they seemingly, for, for a lot of them, they seemingly do it out of the, like, the goodness of their hearts. Their newfound hearts. Yeah. It's actually kind of hard to read this book and remember that the characters are supposed to be villains. Yeah, no, g- legitimately, yeah. And it follow. It's interesting we picked these because I don't know. Did you know this, Stephen? Like that the the you know, Thunderbolt series mentions the the siege storyline because they they like mentioned the Masters of Evil and like you know what they had done to the Avengers in this. Yeah, I didn't know that specifically. I just knew that this was a good Masters of Evil story because it was you know Zemo's next big plan. But I had never read this before. I didn't really know that much about it other than the the big twist that the Thunderbolts were actually the Masters of Evil. That's all I knew about it going in. Well, it worked out nicely then. Yeah. I think for me what was interesting about this is kind of going back to the first iteration of the Thunderbolts, 
when my only knowledge of the Thunderbolts was like a Dark Avengers team, right? Like I, what I'm familiar with when it comes to the Thunderbolts is specifically the Norman Osborn stuff, like when he was president or mayor or something, one of those two. Head of Hammer. Yeah, Head of Hammer. Yeah, yeah. He has like his own Avengers, which are made up of, of villains. And, you know, part of it is, you know, for them to fill that slot of heroes, but it's heroes that he can control, but also right. people that, you know, can do the bad guy stuff that he also, you know, is compelled to keep doing. So having a team like this that, like, I, I don't know, something about the setup for it was a lot more interesting to me than that, especially because until the end of the first issue, we don't know that it's Zemo. So that mm-hmm. that did surprise me. Like that was a legitimate like oh interesting. Like just a little bit like ooh, which was nice because I mm-hmm. like I said I had I didn't have any knowledge on this version of the Thunderbolts team. So right out of the gate, I was like oh I was I kept waiting for like a phone call from like Norman Osborn or Thaddeus T Thunderbolt or somebody, but that didn't happen until like the last couple of pages, and I was just like hey hey that's a that's a spicy twist. so jolt feels like they were trying to recreate jubilee yeah that's fair to say asian american teenage superhero with sparkly explosion powers Mm -hmm. who gets called some i don't know that we would consider the word oriental a slur but she definitely gets called that by arnim zola who is the worst so i guess we can give it a pass so maybe it is a slur. <laughs> I mean, maybe I'm, it is. I'm a pretty slur, sure right? it's a slur. Like it, it comes from like a navigational term, but like you can't. Yeah. <laughs> it's funny. Arnim Zola like turns all of these teenagers into you know giant blob monsters, and then he calls someone an Oriental. And we're like, oh, oh, you can't do that. The human rights violations are are apparently okay. It's a it's an adventure story after all. But don't. Uh, but it's like uh, I don't know the character. The character is not interesting yet. Um, and I don't think she gets interesting because I don't think Jolt has stuck around in the Marvel Comics canon. Like, I don't think there are more Jolt stories than this. But the impact that she has on the team is really interesting. And I love the way that Moonstone just leans into it. Moonstone is easily, I think, the most interesting character in both of these stories. As the supervillain psychiatrist or psychologist who uses her knowledge of human nature and her her understanding of these folks and their quirks and neuroses and things to try to manipulate. Not successfully, but ambitiously. It's very interesting to read. I, I'm genuinely curious to read more Moonstone. Mm-hmm. I Have we read her before? Has she popped up in other things? I don't think we have read her in the podcast. Okay. At least I can't think of a story that she's in that we've read yeah, nothing comes to mind. Am I alone in thinking that this weirdly read like a DC story? A little bit. Maybe I am. Yeah, I haven't read enough DC to say, yeah, because uh, the only DC, I've read Batman. <laughs> Batman stories read like Batman. Well, I mean, in what way, Steven? Because like, I'm getting a little bit of vibes from, like, kind of DC vibes from both of these books, but I could pinpoint it on Under Siege, but I couldn't really pinpoint it on this one. And actually, now that you say that, it might be true of both books to some extent when i think of marvel comics i think of superheroes with problems right that's the thing you mentioned Mm -hmm. dc books have tried to emulate that 
Sometimes successfully, usually not. The problems that the characters have tend to be more about romantic entanglement than about, you know, I can't pay the rent. My, my aunt is in the hospital. You know, things like that. And I feel like with the Thunderbolts, you've got this team of villains that are not particularly acting villainous. All we get are, like, their romantic entanglements. Atlas is in love with the mayor's aide. Mach 1 and Songbird are, are starting up a romance. And it feels very... It feels like a Marvel comic that's trying to imitate a Marvel comic. Instead of actually being a Marvel comic. Hmm. And so to me, that makes it feel like a DC book. Because a lot of DC books tried to do that and aren't always very successful. Right. Yeah, I think... Yeah, I don't know. You can say that I'm alone in that. It's okay, although no, I can be wrong. No, because here's the thing. I, I don't think you're alone, because I was also getting like DC vibes from this. I don't know that it's necessarily from the same place you're getting it. I think for me, it maybe has to do a little bit with like how much death is in this book. Like Not that they kill people, but just how like at least twice per issue, they're like, the Avengers are dead, everybody's dead. And so just kind of like a lot of that stuff. Maybe is where I'm getting a little bit of that that vibe because like DC books tend to deal with like the death of heroes in a different way than Marvel. Mm-hmm. That's true. So at least for me, that's kind of where I'm getting. I think I'm getting that kind of vibe from. Anyway, I'm thinking about Batman. <laughs> <laughs> for real though, I haven't read a Batman book in a long time, and and that does happen sometimes where. Like, which we read, um, oh, in the first book we read, there was The Shroud, and I was like, don't don't try to pull a Batman here, Marvel <laughs> Comics. Stay in your lane. Well, that's interesting. Oh, The Shroud. I was thinking of the, the Crimson Cowl. Boy, there are a lot of cape-themed villains and heroes. Cloak, The Hood. Yeah. I want to read more Cloak and Dagger. Cloak and Dagger are a team that I want to be good, but from what I've heard, they're not. But I want them to be. It's it's tricky because it's like teenagers and drugs, and it's like ooh boy, you know, having those yeah. having those go together. Yeah, but it's like this this should be cool, like you know, it's interesting powers and all that. But uh. anything else that we want to say about Thunderbolts? I think it's interesting. I think the I I worry that because this is a story that has a reputation for being really good. Um, but I'm wondering if the reputation comes from that first issue twist, which I thought was interesting, but I want more of, like, what happens after. Uh, I want to see what Zemo's long-term plan is. And so, like, I'm curious to maybe at some point try to revisit this and, and go a little bit further and see what we learn as far as, you know, the the master plan. What does Zemo wind up doing? And do the the villains stay on his side? How many of them decide they like being good guys and stick around as good guys. How many of them wind up going off with Moonstone's faction or whatever? Mm-hmm. Yeah, it, it's. I would be really interested to see more of that. Mm-hmm. Yes, I agree. I think the setup here is really good. And I'm interested to see how they wrestle with this whole double, almost triple identity thing they have set up as Atlas kind of continues his you know, courtship of, of the liaison, and as they have this non-villain character join their team. I think a lot of that stuff is setting up some really good stuff, but, like, not to say that this book is bad, but maybe the whole it's run... Not. Yeah, maybe the whole run is, is better than 
than we think. I mean, it's certainly set up to be really good. And I think when yeah, I'm this same boat as you, Aldo. Where I think about the Thunderbolts, I think okay, this is you know, it's like a Marvel Suicide Squad almost, where it's reformed bad guys who are turned into a superhero team, and maybe they'll they'll continue to go legit or whatever. But this kind of long game twist makes this original lineup really interesting. And how they are they are fighting the masters of evil, you know, Crimson Cowl, like, yeah, we joked about like them doing Batman or whatever. I still I still like it. I still like when <laughs> there are big capes. I still like it when like Cloak, like it's kind of his body, it's kind of it's kind of him, you know, it's not just a cape. And Crimson Cowl has a bit of that going on too, and so that's interesting to me. But I don't know, I could yeah, I think that this this works in ways where these this lineup of these characters, you know, wouldn't work for me where it's you know like I'll, i don't know the look of the look of citizen v is ridiculous right <laughs> and like mach one particularly bugs me and so it's like all right but but there's you know there's something afoot here so i'm i'm intrigued yeah well what happens next is something that we'll have to leave for another day for now it's time to evaluate what we actually read it's time to do the ranking ranking time I'm guessing we're all pulling up the list right now. That's why we're home We sure are. Because that side did not have it up. And I typically do. Currently, on our list, we have 254 stories. What are our... Let's, let's find some comparable villain stories. I think Infinity Gauntlet is the highest at number nine. Huh. Yeah. So that's, that's a Thanos story. That's a Thanos story. I, I, I can get behind that. Uh, Infinity Gauntlet number nine, Thanos story. Yeah, okay. Lowest ranking villain story. Most of these characters are not villains, but they feel like villains in these stories. Punisher Eminem. Yeah. <laughs> Ultimate Wolverine versus Hulk. Frankenstein's monster versus Dracula might be the one to look to as a comparable number two thirty two. Okay, so where do we want to rank Avengers Under Siege? Not to be confused with Anthem Blue Cross presents City Under Siege. Bro. <laughs> <laughs> So funny that that story's on our list. I love it. So I liked the story. I don't think I loved it, which yeah. makes me not want to put it terribly high. I think my ceiling is 155, which is Executioner's Song. Another like big event, kind of dated, you know. That was one of my big like comics that I read as a kid that was like a big deal, you know. So the problems that a lot of people have with that, I don't. I'm just like, what? They... The, the X-Men have shoulder pads and they're cool and they have a million little pockets on their outfits. What? That's not, that's not okay. But that's, that's about as high as like, you know, I think I wouldn't even go that high, but that's kind of my, where my ceiling is. I would go higher than that because the image of Strife force feeding Cyclops baby food is the thing that pops into mind every time I read Executioner's Song or every time I hear about Executioner's Song. But when I think about Avengers Under Siege, I think about that brutal moment of Mr. Hyde torturing Jarvis. You know, again, it's awful, but it's also compelling in a way that Executioner's Song isn't. But I'm not sure I would go much higher than that. I would put it at least above Tomb of Dracula. Which, I don't recall what happens in Tomb of Dracula. Exactly. Is that um, Elsa Bloodstone? (laughs) Which Tomb of Dracula was this? 137, which means I don't know. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, this was the 2004 series with with uh, Blade. It was a Blade story. Oh, mm. uh, yeah. We don't get enough Blade. 
I would agree that this is better than that. That might be where I put it, though. Because even though Cage was, like, kind of uncomfortable visually and the plot wasn't very good, it was also drawn by Gendy Tartakovsky, so... Yeah. I think that's fair. I'm okay with that, yeah. I, I would want, I want to put it below a, a Runaways book, but that, that is a problematic Runaways book, so it's like... Mm, yeah, someone with the Child Brides, right? Child Bride, yeah. Okay, so should we put that at the new 137? That's yeah. what I'm doing. Alright. Avengers Under Siege, number 137. Now, Thunderbolts. Somewhere around here. Higher, though, weirdly... I think I would agree. Or is it higher? I I think it is. Oh, but but not by much. Yeah, yeah it's weird because I don't think that book. I don't think Thunderbolts lands very well if you haven't read Under Siege. Yeah, yeah. Maybe. Maybe I don't know because now I'm thinking about it. The villain who comes off looking the cruelest and the most evil in Under Siege isn't Zemo. It's Hyde. Yeah. Yeah. And Hyde's not in this. And this book has the benefit of not having Dr. Druid. True. All right, number one. <laughs> okay, listen, most books are going to have that in the plus column, so we can just take it off the table. He's not that popular of a character. <laughs> He's not that good a character. Somewhere, whoever created Dr. Druid is like, you know, come on, guys. He'll be cool, I promise. Uh, I see somebody hovering like on like around Demon Bear. I, that's that's was... my ceiling. I would put it below Demon Bear. I don't know that I could argue against that. Yeah, I would. I would agree with that. Uh, Doctor Druid was a Lee Kirby creation. Hmm. That you know that kind of makes sense to me. They had some misses. It's fine. Yeah, it happens when you create so many characters. Yeah, I think below Demon Bear. I don't know that I could argue to put this above Demon Bear. I can't. I as as troubling as some aspects of Demon Bear are, mm-hmm. particularly the race swapping. I just dig that Sienkiewicz art too much. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So yeah, that would be my ceiling too. Oh, if you haven't seen the new Mutants movie, it got delayed for so long and expectations were just in the toilet. So by the time I finally watched it, I liked it. <laughs> <laughs> it wasn't a great movie, but there was some cool stuff in it. And so it... it and it and Was it very horror-like? Yeah. Because I remember that was part of the reason why I was excited for it was... Like a superhero horror. Yeah, movie. they were going to do something different with it. Yeah. Oh, nice. And nice it to was, see that that and it, it worked. Yeah. And um, I, I think, you know, it's a shame because, yeah, it just was, you know, for so long just on a shelf, you know. Uh, Anya Taylor-Joy, I thought, did a good job as Ileana Rasputin. They didn't quite, like, get all of her character, everything in there, but she did, she did have a soul sword, and, you know, there was the demon bear, but, yeah, that... that that panel in there, uh, that Bill Sienkiewicz art is great. So. All right, so 135 above This Is Not Pod Racing? Yes. Okay. That is not what actually happened in that story. Exactly. That's why the name is there. It's so hard to keep straight what we're supposed to be. <laughs> anyway. Uh, so what, do, what do you mean what next... we're supposed to be? <laughs> this is a burn notice podcast from here on out, you know. Oh, gosh. Okay. We're going to compare mojito recipes. We're going to say if any of the, you know, uh, Florida geography lines up when they say, oh, I'm going up the weekend to Boca. It's like, hmm. Sorry, I have, I have family that lives in Florida now, so I'm trying to get better at that, like learning like uh, where everything is because it's all just kind of vaguely like, I don't know, it's gators and meth, right? Yeah, okay. I mean, that's most of it. <laughs> uh, so speaking of meth, the... <laughs> 
of having a podcast. Not too much a stretch. That one yep. hurt. Yeah, yeah, that one hurt. Yep. That so, one hurt a little bit to just be around. <laughs> Next time, we are going to read... What do we call this? Disaster babies. These, this, we're going to read a couple of yeah. disaster baby stories. I thought we said disaster kids. <laughs> They're adults, technically, but okay. Yeah. I'm going to go yeah. with disaster babies. Okay. So we're going to read... Oh, it looks like this story actually has a name. The Orphans of X. I said that. Yes, but I didn't listen. That's fair. <laughs> <laughs> no, Aldo, you don't have to take that. It's not fair. Hey, I'm very tired. (laughs) (laughs) Anyway, Orphans of X is a storyline from the all-new Wolverine series. So this is Laura Kinney. Uh, We're going to read issues number 25 through 30. 30. Team up or uh, crossover or conflict with uh, Laura Kinney and Dokken. We don't know much about this book other than Dokken is in it. And I said, we should read some Dokken. He's not particularly great. Maybe this will change our minds. Yeah, we know who to blame if things go wrong. Yeah. It's Aldo, but I guess I was... For once, I suggested the Bad X-Men book. (laughs) (laughs) It's usually my grenade to fall on, but yeah. (laughs) Ouch. Uh, And then we're going to follow it up with an old Star Wars comic from the Dark Horse days. An old extended universe story. Star Wars Legacy, issues 1 through 7. I know nothing about this except Luke Skywalker had a descendant who got addicted to death sticks. So that's like the reverse of finding out you had horse thieves in your, you know, ancestry. Say horse thieves? <laughs> yeah. All right. You know, you're looking up and you're like, oh no, my great 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 grandpappy. 